What's up, Miami beaches? <laughs> that is an aggressive energy to start this fire. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika, and I have a wine. Sounds like you're like wasted, <laughs> but you've had like a half a glass of wine. <laughs> this is just me, but a little bit whinier. <laughs> and hopefully the good way. No, I mean, I'm you're gonna just gonna complain like about this stuff the whole time. Oh no! Oh, no. Well, I, I mean, I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to do this one, but it'll be fun. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Ugh. we're going to talk about Elvis. But first, Mika is the host now. This is going to be a trip, so everyone just hang on. We'll get through this together. Just power through it. I have nothing beneficial to say. <laughs> As opposed to all of oh. the other times. Oh, I do have something beneficial to say. This Ooh, is the plot twist. Best chapstick in the whole wide world. I can't see it. You're showing it to me. I, I know. <laughs> it is called chapstick candy cane. It is the Christmas edition. It is minty. It is sweet. It's the best thing in the whole wide world. Nick bought me like five of them for Christmas, and I have three of them open at the moment. <laughs> Pretty sure they're the f- amazing. First time you ever had it, my parents got it for me as like a stocking stuffer back when we were dating and you just stole it and now it's become your favorite. It's the best. And I didn't steal it. You gave it to me because you didn't like I d- it. I mean, I don't use chapstick, so it makes sense. It's the best. Wow. I'm aggressive. I'm not <laughs> used to being this loud. Uh, all right. Are you done? Is that the end? Just chapstick? That's all you wanted to tell people? Well, I have another question. Okay. But I'm really trying to not. What do you mean another? Like what? When was the first question? The first question is oh. why am I here? I thought the first was. Are you talking about the what's going on Miami beaches? Was that your first question? <laughs> no, that's just a <laughs> greeting. Okay. Well, what's your question? I don't want to seem like an alcoholic because <laughs> I'm not. I'm actively trying not to be an alcoholic. And that's how I know that I'm not. <laughs> I, oh, sorry. I, want, I want cold wine, you guys. I don't know why. Cold wine? It just, I always drink red and I want cold wine all of a sudden. So if anyone likes a specific kind of wine that they drink cold, that they get at Kroger, let me know. A lot of specifications there. I'm cheap. Want to just drop a couple ice cubes in that glass and see what happens? No, it's red. Mm. I, it's like a. No. Didn't we have a white wine in our fridge for like two years from our wedding? That yeah, we just I never didn't want to drink it then. <laughs> Sorry, Rachel. And then I did drink it, and it was great. I don't remember. And now, a year later, I want it again. Okay. So if I you have recommendations for a cold, cheap wine. It doesn't taste cheap. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> it tastes aggressively average. <laughs> I'm looking for aggressively average that's 10 to $20 wine that I can buy at Kroger and then put in my fridge. That's the tagline of our podcast. Aggressively average. <laughs> I should have just I'm been the, the name. aggressive <laughs> and the average part. <laughs> And I'm the podcast part, the aggressively yeah. average podcast. Yeah, that's exactly how it divides up. You do <laughs> all of the podcast preparation, and then I show up, and I'm average, and I'm aggressive. <laughs> all right, is that the end of your segment? That's it. You can talk okay. now. Mika is no longer the host now. Follow us on Mika Twitter. Mika is a host now. No, you're not the host now. I didn't do it the first time. Oh, okay. Follow us on Twitter so you can... Give me go wine recommendations. Yes, wine recs, and then see the TikToks that we like. Ooh, I have that a good Mika one likes. that I'm going to post right now. Oh goodness! Twitter.com/slash Sound of History with an underscore. You Give us like a. to Twitter.com. What the? You're <laughs> the, the only URL. one without. Tr- I didn't have Twitter. 
active for years and I still had the Twitter app on my phone. And you're the only person that doesn't have Twitter on their phone. That's our URL. That's our handle. Whatever. Sound of history underscore. That's our handle. Go there. Go to twitter.com slash sound of history (laughs) underscore. It's going to be a long podcast. watch the short (laughs) videos that we post and hear all of my bullshit. And then Nick talks about the podcast. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) You knew what you were getting into. Give us ratings, reviews, and all of that on iTunes, Facebook, whatever. Just let us know what you like, what you don't like. We'll figure it out so you can change things. We're working on making the sound quality better, making me go louder. Because everyone so we gave needs her that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are we ready for music history now? I was listening to Chuck Berry today. Cool. I liked it. That's what we talked about last Johnny week. Johnny Be Good. You didn't listen. Johnny Be Good is not... Run, run, Rudolph. Oh, what is? I don't remember. I don't know, but I heard Johnny Be Good today, and it was not Run, Run, Rudolph. Yeah, it wasn't. It's just my favorite. Yeah, it's musically similar to the recognizable song Johnny Be Good. Oh. And melodically identical to his song Little Queenie. Okay. Yeah, it's musically similar. So it's close, but it's not the same. Right. Okay. I was like, a second ago I said I never pretend to know that i'm right or something like that mm-hmm. i've already forgotten but i was right yeah and when you started to say that i wasn't i was like no <laughs> it's similar but i'm right okay so yeah listen to last week's episode to hear about chuck berry hear about where that conversation came from mika became a big fan of chuck berry today we're talking about someone mika is not a fan of and we're gonna see if we can change her mind are you a fan Eh, not really. I don't think I dislike him as much as you do, but... I just... I can appreciate some of it. He's annoying. We're talking about Elvis, but first, the past couple of weeks, we've talked about the birth of rock and roll and then Chuck Berry. So what do you remember about early rock and roll? What are some things you've picked up on? It's jazzy. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's all we got. Today, we're going to talk about someone incredibly important to the birth of rock and roll, even though his legacy is a little bit interesting, a little bit debated. Is it debated? Yeah. Why? I mean, we hinted at it earlier, but a lot of people think he just stole African-American music and just ripped people off to... But his whole thing was that, like, no one's like Elvis. He's not like anybody. Yeah, I don't know if that was a thing he said. Because I think, well, no, I mean, it yeah, kinda is. you said he like walked into like a, yeah, a to chess records. label, not chess, uh, Sun Records, and he and they were like, "Who are you?" And he's like, "I'm like nobody you've ever seen before." Oh, well, they paraphrased. asked like who, what, who he sounded like, and he said he sounded like nobody. Which That's I mean, self-deprecation I can get behind. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll figure it out. We'll talk a little bit more about it and more about his controversy. I can't wait. We mentioned him a bit already, and we're going to reference him a lot more as we move through just American music history. So I figured we better do an episode on him, at least a little bonus episode. I don't think you need to justify why you wanted (laughs) to do an episode on Elvis. I think everybody's already on board. I mean, I feel like anytime we do a bonus episode, I have to justify it a little bit because it means they weren't important or influential enough to warrant their own episode in the genre so like i have to kind of justify it there are lots of people that warrant an episode yeah but they don't get bonus episodes so if i'm like taking the time to do a bonus episode then it feels like yeah but like but like you can't there are so many people that deserve like that spot in like the episode yeah you know so the fact that we're specifically including elvis means that he warrants it more than the rest of them that we didn't include Whatever. Aggression. <laughs> what do you know about Elvis? How would you sum him up? That one episode of New Girl where I hate it and it's <laughs> Nick's ghetto. dad died and they're like, in the ghetto. <laughs> and th- that, that. So you basically. And, and then hips. So you basically know him for Elvis impersonators. <laughs> that's yes. your opinion of Which Elvis. Which is why I don't like him. Yeah, that's not a great. <laughs> Elvis Presley was born on January 8th, 1935, in Tulipo, Mississippi. Elvis's identical twin brother was born 35 minutes before him, but unfortunately was stillborn. 
I was going to say I didn't realize he was a twin. Yeah, I mean, he was, but his brother died in birth. Dude, twins are weird. Yeah. We've been taking care of us. Well, no, we've been taking care of one half of a set of twins. And he's like itty bitty, like mm-hmm. super tiny and like obviously has like a cardiac defect. And then his brother is just like chonk compared <laughs> to him. And so he just was like nutrition. And then like poor brother is like feed me. <laughs> My heart is broken. But like big baby isn't really that big. He's like normal size baby, but he like stole all the nutrition. It's super weird. Twins, dude. They like look the same, but like one's mini. Well, Elvis's twin died. That's really <laughs> sad. His family was really poor growing up and Elvis was very close with his parents, particularly his mom. He grew up going to an Assembly of God church where he had his first musical inspiration, which I feel like is a popular theme in this show. A lot of people get their first like introduction and inspiration of music from church. Elvis's dad, a guy named Vernon, nice, bounced around between odd jobs, and the family often relied on the charity of relatives and neighbors to get by. Apparently, Vernon had very little ambition or work ethic, at least according to like one report I saw. Not nice. <laughs> Vernon was actually jailed for eight months. I don't know why, but he was put in jail for eight months. And the family was evicted for altering a check from his landlord and sometimes employer. So Elvis and his mother moved in with relatives while he was in prison. As a kid, Elvis was generally an average student, but he impressed his principal by singing an old country song, and the principal encouraged him to enroll in a local talent show. That's nice. Look at them valuing things other than knowing how to do math. (laughs) That's so cool. This would be his first public performance. A few months later, he got a guitar for his birthday, which he didn't want. He wanted either a bicycle or a rifle, and then started to take guitar lessons with it. Having no money, Elvis grew up in the African-American communities of the South, and that continued when his family moved to Memphis when Elvis was 13. This is all coming together. <laughs> yeah. I hate that he got a... I don't know what I'm talking about. Never mind. <laughs> After staying in roaming houses for a year, they got an apartment in a public housing complex. Elvis also grew up loving Mississippi Slim's radio show, who played hillbilly music and was one of Elvis's first musical influences. Have we talked about him? No. He's just oh. a guy who had a radio show that Elvis liked. That's like the end of his influence. He sounded like we talked about him. No. He's just It's just interesting because he's growing up in these African-American communities, but listening to hillbilly radio... And we've said in the past, rock and roll is basically rhythm and blues mixed with country. Like, that's just kind of what rock is, so. Oh, it's it's not jazzy. Well, it is, but rock and roll is just kind of a combination of everything. Plus aggression. (laughs) Yes. In Memphis, Elvis kept kept competing in school and community talent shows. Apparently, his high school teacher told him that Elvis had no aptitude for singing and gave him a C in the class. Boo! (laughs) Wait. His high school what teacher? Music teacher. Music teacher? Yes. Damn. My guess is they did not like rock and roll. I mean, what adult did? Exactly. Elvis was also bullied occasionally in school and called a mama's boy, which to be fair, he was. Ain't nothing wrong with a mama's boy. There is in high school, apparently. Everything is wrong in high school. Yeah. This, the the bullying and the music teacher saying he sucked, really led to him not wanting to perform publicly all that much. But he and two brothers, who were not, not his brothers, two different brothers. Okay, good, because I was confused. <laughs> I know. Who went on to be rockabilly pioneers in their own right, formed a little trio that they would take around and perform. Who are they? I don't know. Didn't write their names down. I figured. Wow. Not very important in rockabilly, apparently. more like I just figured I would give you as little names to remember as possible. Well, I've got Elvis down. Okay. Do you remember the guy who had the radio show? Do you remember? Mississippi Jim. Slim. Close. Okay. Do you remember his dad's name? Vernon. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I should drink wine often. (laughs) By the time he was a senior in high school, he started to come out of his shell. He styled his hair, grew out his sideburns, and started wearing flashier clothing that he saw on Beale Street. I'm here for it. Where? Beale Street. 
which I, was music, which was Memphis's blues center. Okay. By the time he entered the school talent show, he had gotten over his fear of performing. He said, quote, I wasn't popular in school. I failed music, only thing I ever failed. And then they entered me into this talent show. When I came on stage, I heard people kind of rumbling and whispering and so forth because nobody knew I even sang. It was amazing how popular I became in school after that. I mean, high school girls do swoon <laughs> over a guy who can sing. Guy, guy with long sideburns and a rhinestone jacket singing. That's the dream. I don't think he was wearing rhinestones at this point. Uh, but there are some weird guys that I have a crush on. <laughs> like me? Girls don't, no. High school. I have never worn a rhinestone, I don't think. Well, we gotta change that. <laughs> By the time he graduated high school, he already decided that he wanted to pursue music as a career and he was heavily influenced by the hillbilly music of his childhood and the blues music of Beale Street. So those two were kind of coming together in him. In 1950, a guy named Sam Phillips opened up a recording studio in Memphis. We've talked about Sam. Do you remember Sam? Of course I don't remember Sam. (laughs) At this studio, he would let amateurs come and record and would sell the good recordings to bigger labels. But the idea of getting recorded for amateur musicians was a huge draw, and he ended up being the first person to record some legendary musicians. He like, sounds like he's taking advantage of people. I mean, that's welcome to the recording industry. <sighs> but yeah, it's just a, like, I mean, for every star he found, he probably had 80 people who sucked come and record. And they would like, I don't know if he was doing it, but a lot of people would be like, pay me $5, you can record. Because it's like, they get a little novelty thing that they can go show their friends. Like, look at this record I made kind of thing. I guess. Kind of like for writers, there's things called novelty presses where like you just pay a company and they'll like print your book and bind it and send it to you. Okay. Yeah. So Sam Phillips uh, was the first person to record some musicians like B.B. King, Howlin' Wolf, and in 1953, Elvis Presley. He also, he was the guy in... The early rock and roll episode, he recorded the first ever rock song where the people dropped their amp and it was distorted. Wow. Yeah, he was that guy. Sorry, I was distracted thinking about how 1953 feels like ages ago, but it was like 70 years. Yeah. I I just really, time. Yeah, like Elvis. Ah! This was before Elvis was a thing and it was only 70 years. (laughs) Time. In 1953, Elvis stopped by the studio that would later be called Sun Studios and paid to record a couple of songs for his mom's birthday. I do remember Sun Studios. Yeah. So his mom loved hearing him sing, so That's he thought really it would be a precious. cool present to like record it and give it for That's her birthday. That's yeah. really, really sweet. One of Sam's collaborators, who was there, thought she heard something interesting in Elvis and secretly courted him, recorded him to show Sam. She? Yeah. Hell yeah. It's like, I've heard her sometimes called secretary, but I, f- I personally felt like that downplayed her involvement because she kind of like, Sam wasn't around all the time and she would just run the show when he wasn't there. Hell yeah. So she was the first person who thought she heard something in Elvis. Did so she recorded name? it. We did, but again, I didn't record <laughs> it. <laughs> I could look it up, but you could also look it up on your own. Nah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so Sam wasn't there, so she thought she heard something, so she secretly recorded Elvis' recording so that she could show it to Sam. It took a bit of convincing, Why? but... Why? Could you not... Because he was just recording it on a... Yeah. He was recording oh. it on a record that he would then take with him. So how did she secretly record it? Because you can't just, like, pop out your Probably phone Probably just duplicated it. Probably just had another okay. record running at the same time. Uh, it took some convincing, but eventually Sam agreed that he should record Elvis. Oh, here you go. When that collaborator named Maria... Get it, Maria. ...asked Elvis who he sounded like, Elvis responded, I don't sound like nobody. Which is a little true, a little not true. For him at the time, that was probably true. Because this was 53. This was before rock music. This was before Chuck Berry. This was before Little Richard. Like... This was him combining hillbilly and rhythm and blues on his own. Okay. So sure, he had some hillbilly influence. He had some influence from people like Howlin' Wolf. But like, this was 
in Muddy Waters, th- but this was new for him. In mm-hmm. his mind, he was this was a new sound. Okay. I mean, maybe he heard some other people play it on Beale Street, but, like, I don't know. I feel like he wasn't lying when he said this. Nothing came of this recording, or another one he did in 1954. Elvis also failed an audition to join a vocal quartet, who are called the Songfellows, because he didn't have an ear for harmony. So, Elvis became a truck driver. After he auditioned for another band, the band leader told him to stick to truck driving, because, quote, you're never going to make it as a singer. Don't you love it? Like, yes, the people who go down in history for being so completely wrong. And like that's all they're known for is just being wrong. It's just, it's funny. At the same time, Sam Phillips over at Sun Studios was on the lookout for a white man who could sing the African-American blues songs in their style. Racism. Yep. No one could quite capture the soul that African-American artists could put into it. Apparently, Sam said to Maria, quote, if I could find a white man who had the African-American sound and feel, I could make a billion dollars, end quote. Did he make a billion dollars? He made pretty close to it. Wow. Sam remembered Elvis and brought, him to try some st- and brought him in to try some stuff out. Despite not really getting anywhere, he had Elvis sing a whole bunch of ballads. Nothing was working. Until late in the night when Elvis brought out his guitar and started singing an old blues number called That's Alright. One of the musicians, like the session musicians who were there with Elvis that night, said, quote, All of a sudden, Elvis just started singing this song, jumping around and acting the fool. And then Pil- Bill picked up his bass, and he started acting the fool, too. And I started playing with them, probably acting the fool, but he didn't say that. Self-respect. <laughs> Sam, I think, had the door to the control booth open. He stuck his head out and said, what are you doing? And we said, we don't know. Well, back up, he said. Try and find a place to start and do it again. End quote. So it was just guys goofing off. But in that, Sam found the sound that he had been looking for. A white man who could play the blues. That's All Right got played on a Memphis radio station and had people calling in to find out who Elvis was. Like... That's all right, mama. Yeah, we listened to it, I think, okay. a couple weeks ago. It became a big hit in Memphis, and Sam quickly cut a record with That's All Right on one side and Elvis's version of a bluegrass standard, Blue Moon of Kentucky, on the other side. Do you want to hear That's All Right? Yeah. All right, well, here's That's All Right, Elvis's first recording. Well, first recording that got anywhere. That's all right, Mama, just any way you do that's all right. That's all right. That's all right, Mama, any way do. Well, Mama, she done told me, Papa done told me too. Son, that guy you fooling with, she ain't no good for you, but that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. What's the first song? What are your thoughts? You are very quiet, so you seem unimpressed. I just we already listened to it, so I'm right. like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's that that's song. all right. <laughs> From there, Elvis's career exploded rapidly. In 1955, he started to gain a massive following because of his live performances and his gyrating hips. The hip shaking came about because of his nervousness to perform and his natural feel for rhythm. Oh! You hadn't heard that story? That I thought everyone so knew that. so cute. Yeah, he was kind of like trembling a little bit, but because he had no. natural rhythm, he trembled in rhythm. Oh, <laughs> it just looked like he was so shaking his cute. Head. That was where it started, but like in the end when he was no longer nervous, it was just because that it was, was his thing. It was just sexual. His wide-cut pants emphasized the movements and drove women crazy. Love them wide-cut pants. <laughs> They're back in now, apparently, according to TikTok. Skinny jeans are out. You sound <laughs> so old. <laughs> according to the TikTok.com. <laughs> Get with it. We're not that old. <laughs> I'm pretty old. My The highlight of my weekend is just chilling out and reading Count of Monte Cristo. I feel like it's a very old person You've thing. You've been like that forever. Uh, yeah, I've been old forever. 
old man. Elvis played on a radio show that was broadcasted wider than the Memphis area and grew more of a following by doing that, which allowed him to play in other cities in Texas and Arkansas. And he even had his first television performance on the Louisiana Hayride, which I'm pretty sure we've talked about. We've had other people. I think it was uh, Hank Williams, maybe, when he was kicked off of the Opry because he was too drunk all the time. Why is it a hayride? I, I don't know. I'm like a, It's basically just like the Opry, except probably a little bit more fun and less refined. Is it on a hayride? No. Is there hay bales? I mean, it's, it's probably like a barn dance type feel. So like, hoedown, throwdown? <laughs> yes. That would have been a mainstay on the Louisiana hayride. <laughs> so about a year after that first single, constant touring, performances on the Louisiana hayride, and more records from Sun Studios, Elvis turned into a regional star. The national public still didn't really know about him, but those in Tennessee through West Texas sure did. We know what's up. Also... I know. I don't know what's <laughs> up. You he, don't know what's up because you're old. He probably didn't get too far into, like, Middle or East Tennessee. It was, like, Memphis. And, like, you draw a line along Memphis and then, like, over to Texas. That's basically where he went. Maybe a little Nashville, but probably not. We know what's out. <laughs> Stop. You gotta cut that out. I sound <laughs> ridiculous. I'm, I am ridiculous. No, nope, it's dang it. No. Also in 1955, Elvis recording, or Elvis's recording contract was sold to RCA Victor. So he made the big time. So like, I don't, I th- it's been, that decision has been talked about a lot. Sam Phillips had Elvis's contract and he sold it to RCA. So that's been like. So he missed out. Yeah, but also he got a big payday, which allowed him to like probably upgrade his equipment, do a little bit more. So like he was able, like he also recorded Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis. So like he was able to do more because he did that. It sounds like he did okay for himself. Yeah, like he's he's probably fine. Let's let him make his decisions. I think he was like a investor in the Holiday Inn hotels, and I think that's like because like. After the like after the fifties, he kind of didn't really do much with music anymore, and I think it was because he was like a millionaire through the Holiday Inn hotels. But I could get that wrong. I Holiday just, Inn is that old? I think so. Regard okay, whatever. Regardless, that's a tangent. Years. Oh my god, it's only seventy years <laughs> ago. What? So in 1956, Elvis released "Heartbreak Hotel," which quickly became his first number one single on the Hot 100 chart. He previously had a song hit number one on the country chart, but this was his first pop chart number one. He also had his debut album hit number one on the charts, and he signed a movie contract with Paramount Pictures. All of that in one year. So, pretty big year. 1956, pretty big year for him. Do you want to hear Heartbreak Hotel? I do very much. Well, here's his first number one song. Because, like, I know it, but I don't know what it sounds like. Those girls, dude, will not let you be lonely. <laughs> You'd be surprised. It's pretty lonely, dude. <laughs> He's so lonely, he could cry. Alright, that's Heartbreak Hotel. We can be so lonely while surrounded by people. (laughs) Yep. It's Jack's Mannequin song right there. (laughs) Help. His debut album contains several songs that helped define the newly evolving sound of rock and roll. All of them were covers, like Blue Suede Shoes and other R&B songs from Little Richard and Ray Charles that ha- had been a part of Elvis's Wait, act Blue for a Suede while. Wait, Blue Suede Shoes is someone else? Yeah, they all are. Well, Basically. I don't think Elvis ever wrote a song or had a song. Well, he probably had a song specifically written, written, for, written him. for him. Yeah. But most of it, like uh, Hound Dog, that's a cover. They're pretty much all covers. Really? Yeah. Uh, wow. 
so he but he took those songs and he added his own spin to them. A music critic speaking about three R&B songs on that first number one album that helped shape rock and roll said, quote, Unlike many white artists who watered down the gritty edges of the original R&B versions of the songs in the 50s, Elvis reshaped them. He not only injected the tunes with his own vocal character, but also made guitar, not piano, the lead instrument in all three cases. So, I mean, typical cover. He took the song and he made it his own thing. Which, I think it's fair to note, wasn't uncommon. This was happening a lot in the recording industry. Most of Bing, Cros- Bing Crosby's songs were covers. By the middle of 1956, after various TV appearances and chart hits, Elvis was a national star. But not everyone loved Elvis. Turned out that he was a pretty controversial figure. Because of his gyration? <laughs> yes. After a show in La Crosse, Wisconsin, a letter was sent to J. Edgar Hoover, who was the director of the FBI, and the founder of the FBI, I'm pretty sure, that said, quote, Presley is a definite danger to the security of the United States. You're kidding. His actions and motions were such as to rouse the sexual passions of teenaged youth. <laughs> After the show, more than 1,000 teenagers tried to gang into Presley's room at the auditorium. Indications of the harm Presley did just in lacrosse were the two high school girls whose abdomen and thigh had Presley's autograph. There's a lot to unpack here. (laughs) Hold on, hold on. We're going to unpack this. The FBI is scared that the entire United States could be compromised by sexually crazed teenagers. This was a letter sent to the FBI. The FBI didn't send this out. This was sent to them so that they should investigate Elvis. So it was just like a Karen. Yeah. It was basically just like an angry old, probably white man who was like, Mr. Hoover, Presley's a danger because my daughter had her abdomen signed. (laughs) During a performance of Hound Dog on Milton Berle's show. Hold on. Okay. I'm getting a vibe from this man. Oh, no. The vibe is Elvis is to blame for the incitement of all of these girls, right? Okay. But stay with me. Okay. Trump wasn't to blame for the White House debacle, or not White House, the Capitol debacle. Okay, that's all. Move on. (laughs) That's the vibe of this man. Okay. Okay? He doesn't think. Just disparaging another gentleman. Who may be dead. (laughs) I thought we had learned this lesson. (laughs) I learned nothing. You should know that by now. (laughs) I haven't learned a damn thing. And that is the vibe. Okay. That is the vibe. All right. Are we ready to move on? I'm going to let you go down on that ship on your own. And I'm (laughs) going to move on. I wish I could. I wish I could say smart aleck things without like. Messing up my words, you know, but it's fine. It keeps me humble. (laughs) (laughs) During a performance of Hound Dog on Milton Berle's show, Milton Berle was kind of, he's basically Jimmy Fallon. Like it's the Tonight Show sort of, just a little variety show. Uh, Berle convinced Elvis to leave his guitar backstage so the audience could see him. So he slowed down the song, which he accentuated with energetic grinding body movements. This drove people bananas. In good and bad ways. The teenage, the teenagers and girls loved it. Yep. The adults, not so much. Listen, I'm sure there was, there was, there was some men that loved it too. <laughs> Maybe. Some non-binary people loved it too. I mean, I said teenagers and girls. So, like, the young people were like, ah, dude, that guy's cool. But I'm the old people were like, how dare he? I'm, I'm just saying. The New York Times critic at the time wrote, quote, Mr. Presley has no discernible singing ability. His phrasing, if it can be called that, 
consist of the stereotyped variations that go with a beginner's aria in a bathtub. Wow. His one specialty is an accentuated movement of the body, primarily identified with the repertoire of the blonde bombshells of the burlesque runway. So they Thank weren't a Thank you fan. on behalf of all <laughs> blondes. Thank you. While the New York Daily News review said that music, quote, has reached its lowest depths in the grunt and groin antics of one Elvis Presley. Oh, just you wait. Grunt and groin antics. I love that. Just, just, just you wait. Just Con- you wait. Continuing on with that review. Elvis, who rotates his pelvis, got an exhibition that was suggestive and vulgar tinged with the kind of animalism that should be confined to dives and bordellos. There's so much to unpack here. (laughs) There's honestly so much to unpack here. My main first thought is like, I don't think I'm done. I'm I'm done. (laughs) All right. That review made Elvis start being called Elvis the Pelvis. That's an amazing nickname. But it's kind of like in a disparaging way. Like the adults oh, called know. him that. I know. Which Elvis said was, quote, one of the most childish expressions I ever heard coming from an adult. It genuinely quote. sounds like something that a yeah. fifth grader came up with. Yeah. And I love it. I love it. Do you want to see that performance of Hound Dog that got him in the trouble? Yeah, here's Elvis you on the ain't nothing but a hound dog. He's so cool. He's just so good. Oh, get it, dude. Phenomenal. That breakdown was phenomenal. Apparently that wasn't planned. Because you could really? see you could see right before it he held up his hand to the band and they were just like, All right, let's see what happens and stopped and then he started singing slower. So they're like, Okay, and they started playing slower. Like I read that that's how that played out. Like he just that's kinda was feeling it. Awesome. And did that. Yeah. I love that. You know, we don't take we don't and maybe that's why it still is so good, but like we don't do that enough. What slowing it down? Yeah, and by we, I mean everyone that's musically inclined, and like not me. <laughs> um, it's so cool. It it's is, always yeah. so like, especially when you're just, not expecting just like, it. Yeah, like if it's traditionally like a faster, high energy song, and you slow it down like that, it's it's huge. the best. It li- it makes me want to like jump off of a cliff. In a good way, like cliff diving, <laughs> like like it just is like Makes I'm me invincible. Jump off a cliff in a good way. 
All right. It's so good. And That's like, our tagline for this episode. <laughs> Elvis makes me go on to jump off a cliff in a good way. Oh my gosh. Um, can the media just like stop? And can no. like people just like stop sexualizing no. everything? Nope. Like let people be a person. Stop putting your sexual attraction to them up on the headlines and like blaming it or on them. Could also be jealousy. It's both. Yeah. I'm mad. <laughs> stop it. Well, I mean. Just stop it. Let them be them and let them be hot and talented <laughs> and stop making it a crime to be hot and talented. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, if Elvis's story and other stories anything to go by, the critics don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, but like, I'm sure that he was upset by it. Maybe. But it's Elvis. It's got to be. Pay- it's got to be harmful. Probably. And painful to be like hated for this thing, like I. Um, I mean, yeah, it probably is, but mm. at the same time, he could just see all the sold-out arenas he's playing to every night and be sexuality like, is not a bad thing. <laughs> damn it! Well, Elvis continued his meteoric rise to fame for the rest of 1956 and into 1957. His first film, Love Me Tender, though it was destroyed by critics, was a huge box office success. His second album also hit number one in the charts. He performed on the Ed Sullivan Show to enormous ratings. He was a bona fide superstar in setting the precedent of what it meant to be a rocker during this point. His songs were incredibly influential to this new emerging genre, even if he didn't write them. The way he performed them turned them into something new and energetic and exciting. Because, like, I forgot who did it but the original hound dog it was kind of slower and like more mellow and stuff it was a female blues artist i can't remember her name but yeah he kind of like upped it and added that hard driving rhythm that rock was known for love elvis's live shows were quite well known to lead to almost riot-like tendencies with the young audience members frank sinatra who made many women swoon during his tenure as america's favorite singer had a lot to say about Elvis and rock and roll in general. Am I going to be mad? Yes. Damn it. He's I'm. He's very hot-headed and jealous of his fame. That's what you need to know about Frank. Let me just like take a minute. I need to officially separate my love and nostalgia of Frank Sinatra from the man. Or just separate his music from the man. Because like you can I still think you can enjoy someone's music while thinking they're not a great person. E- except for some cases where what we they want do to not support people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like Hold on. No, I need a particular a metal guy who just no. What? I don't know this. I don't know the metal world. The singer of Lost Prophets. He's probably one of the worst human beings ever, and we should never support him. Right, I'm well gonna you leave heard it, it there. here first, folks. <laughs> you probably didn't hear it first, no. but I, I heard He's it here first. I'm not going to get into what he did because it is explicit. Anyway, Frank <sighs> called right. Rock and Elvis, quote, brutal, ugly, degenerate, vicious. It fosters almost totally negative and destructive reactions in young people. It smells phony and false. It is sung, played, and written, for the most part, by cretinous goons. <laughs> this rancid smelling aphrodisiac I deplore. Got a little poetic at the end there. <laughs> yeah, that was a good line. In response, Elvis said, quote, I admire the man. He has a right to say what he wants to say. Oh. He is a great success and a fine actor, but I think he shouldn't have said it. This is a trend just the same as he faced when he started years ago. <laughs> what a what a what a composed, polite but like strong, like don't walk all over me <laughs> type of response. I just. I, mm. It should I'm also so be proud. noted that Frank did change his take on rock later and he softened towards uh, it. Yeah, of course he did when he yeah. realized he was wrong. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, I, he probably didn't even believe that. It was probably mostly just jealousy that, like, he was no longer the, the hit thing. The sexiest man alive. Yeah, yeah, like, he wasn't the hit thing in the world anymore. Now it was this music that he didn't really understand and didn't maybe didn't even like that much. Anyway, moving on. 
The Elvis Christmas album was released in October of 1957 and became the best-selling American Christmas album of all time and Elvis's fourth number one album. At what? Is it still? I don't, I doubt it, but I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like there was a lot, like, I don't, did Bing Cross, yeah, he did release Christmas albums. So was this, was this after Bing? Then? Yeah, because White Christmas was released in 1940. And it beat out White Christmas. I think White Christmas is still the best-selling single of all time, but in terms of albums, this was the best-selling. Never mind, I still don't like snow. I'm still upset about the snow. It featured a new Christmas song written by two of Elvis's writers that was full of innuendos called Santa Claus is Back in Town. I do want to hear to it. it. Okay. I want to hear that. I figured you'd want to hear it. I want to hear the Santa innuendos. I don't know how evident Christmas. they are. That was just something I wrote. So. Number one Christmas album. We're adding it to the playlist. Yeah, it's all going to be on the playlist. No, not your playlist. My oh. elite oh. Christmas playlist. With the likes of... I was of talking about the Sound of History playlist, playlist, which you can find on Spotify. You interrupted me. Sorry. I was bragging about my favorite thing that I've ever created. That's okay. fine. The moment's passed. All right. But then his exploding career hit a snag in 1957. What do you think happened? Well, he didn't go to jail because he's white. (laughs) Just take a guess. Drugs. He was drafted into the army. Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) He officially enlisted in March of 1958 after a brief deferment. Deferment? Yeah, I think that's how you say it. To finish a movie. What? <laughs> I'm sorry, Uncle Sam. I can't go fight for the country yet. I have to finish this film. <laughs> How are the girls going to remember me when I go off to war? <laughs> so, when he was in the army, he said that he didn't want to be treated any differently during his time in the military. And I don't know if I said this, but. Like, I don't know if I wrote this later, but according to people who, like, served with him, they said that was mostly true. Like, he didn't seek any preferential treatment. He didn't really, like, he's just kind of like, I'm going to lay low. I'm going to do my time. I'm going to get out of here kind of thing. And I think he donated all of his military salary to charity or whatever. I don't know. I'm like an Elvis. He also became infatuated with amphetamines during his stint in the Army. I was right! (laughs) Other soldiers, oh yeah, here we go. Other soldiers he was stationed with said that he definitely did want, or didn't want, oh, okay, sorry. I thought I made a typo when I wrote this, but I didn't, and I should have trusted my past self. Other soldiers he was stationed with said that he definitely did want to be treated as just another member of the army. He didn't have an ego about his fame, and he was quite generous, donating his army salary to charity and donating more money to help out with things around the base. But maybe most importantly, while stationed in Germany, Elvis met a 14-year-old named Priscilla Buelo. 
Bitbolio? I don't know. This started a relationship that would be controversial and wild for many years. Mm, what is with... <sighs> don't know. Why is this just like a thing <laughs> in history? Why has this been a thing? Maybe Why it's like a power dynamic thing. Maybe it's because their audience is all that young. No, I don't know. No, 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 no. It's not just like that. It's it's just like like it's always been. It always was this way, and I don't understand it because like fourteen year old girls are insane. Well, that's just not gonna really pick up until you scream. <laughs> Whatever. It doesn't matter. Through the early nineteen sixties, Elvis's career was still strong, but he focused mostly on movies. He released three films that were box office hits. Most of the albums he released were soundtracks to movies at that point. Also, oh wait, sorry, I skipped a paragraph. Elvis left the army in 1960. And I was wondering how we got there. And wasted no time getting back into the charts with the soundtrack to his most recent movie. His continued success was probably because his producers held back some of his recorded music and kept releasing new songs while he was away. So, while Al- while Elvis was in the army, he had 10 top 40 hits. So, pretty smart move on his producer's part. So, his career's still strong in the early 1960s. He's mostly making movies and releasing soundtracks to How those movies. How old is he? I mean, he was born in like late 20s, early 30s, somewhere around there. Because he was born in 34, I think. So, yeah, 20s. Elvis moved Priscilla to his mansion in Memphis, called Graceland, while they were still dating, and she was still a teenager. Mm. Then, in 1967, they got married. She was not a teenager at that point. Right, they had to wait until she was 18. I think she might have even been like 20, because they met 58 when she was 14, and they married in 67. So she yeah, she's like early 20s at this point. Okay. A lot of people seem to think that Elvis was forced into marrying her, since her parents threatened to have him charged under the Mann Act, which the, which was the same thing Chuck Berry got in trouble for, transporting a minor across state lines for illicit purposes, is the Mann Act. And they threatened to charge him with that if he didn't marry her. Also, his RCA contract had a morality clause that said he couldn't be living with his girlfriend if they weren't married. Oh my God. <laughs> But whatever the reason, they got married and had a daughter a year later. Priscilla has said that it was while staying with Elvis in the early 60s that she first started taking amphetamines and sleeping pills to keep up with his lifestyle. (laughs) I also think at this point it should be noted people didn't really understand the danger of amphetamines at this time. Like, they were regularly given to soldiers as, like, a performance booster thing. Like, they, like... People didn't understand how addictive they were, how bad they were. So Elvis kind of got wrapped up in them thinking that they, like he was a spokesman for him saying mm-hmm. that they were a good thing because like yeah. people just didn't really know. I feel like that should at least be noted. In 1968, around the birth of his daughter, Elvis became deeply unhappy with his career. He released eight singles from 1967 to 1968 and only three of them charted in the top 40, the highest hitting number 28. The initial rock fad was over, and the British invasion was taking its place. The golden era of rock and roll had come to an end, leaving those like Elvis as nothing more than legendary figures, but certainly not still the stars. The Rolling Stones and the Beatles and the Beach Boys, they were the stars now. But Are the Beach Boys European? No, they're from California. That's what I thought. Yeah, they're just wrapped up in that because they were super big in the 60s. But Elvis wanted to change that. In December of 1968, he aired a TV special, which has since become known as the 68 Comeback Special, and it was Elvis's first live performance since 1961. It was very reminiscent of his early rock and roll days. The special was hugely popular, with a song written for it cracking the top ten. Elvis said he loved it. He told one friend named Steve, quote... (laughs) Steve, Steve's name. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's in the quote. Said, quote, Steve, it's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. I give you my word, I will never sing a song I don't believe in. End quote. Just so you can know what it's like, here he is singing his song all shook up in that special. Aw, he's all shook up. Look at that hair. 
everybody. I'm not seeing a lot of singing. He's getting there. He's got to warm up. Normally, you warm up by singing. I'm all shook up. Oh, my hands are shaking and my knees are weak. I can't see it. I can't see it. I can't see it. I can't see you done? <laughs> As the 70s started, Elvis started to decline in his health. He had a massive addiction to prescription drugs. His personal doctor was later tried and acquitted for administering thousands of drugs to him. His weight was steadily increasing, and he divorced Priscilla in 1973. They both had had affairs and were unhappy in the marriage for at least two years before the divorce. But she got custody of their daughter. Probably good. Yeah. Despite all that, he was still touring to sold-out crowds extensively. By the time of his divorce in 1973, his health was in serious decline. He overdosed twice, the first time spending three days in a coma. But 1973 was his busiest touring year ever. In 1974, while preparing for yet more shows, everyone in the band could tell how messed up he was and were seriously wondering if he could even do the shows. The guitarist said, quote, It was obvious he was drugged. It was obvious there was something terribly wrong with his body. It was so bad, the words to the songs were barely intelligible. I remember crying. He could barely get through the introductions. End quote. Mm. Despite all that, he continued to play, and people continued to come. But, it, but his image was taking a hit. His crowds were now seen as middle-aged moms, and this is when the image of a bedazzled, overweight Elvis came into effect. So like the typical Elvis impersonator, like that typical image of Elvis that was during this period. I've never thought of him as overweight. Hmm. This, is, this is making me sad. <laughs> Bodies change. Yeah. Like. Also, drugs don't help. Oh. In 1976, Elvis's father, Vernon, fired his three bodyguards, who are known as the Memphis Mafia. They Vernon had, been had bodyguards? No, it, he fired Elvis's bodyguards. Okay. Uh, El I think Vernon was his manager at this point, if I'm okay. remembering that correctly. But they had been Elvis's friends since the early 1950s. Like and they, they had been with him through it all. I'm getting there. Vernon said they were fired to cut back on expenses, but some people think it was because they were too vicious and brought on too many lawsuits. But what? Elvis's stepbrother said they were fired because they were becoming too outspoken about Elvis's drug dependency. And Vernon didn't want the public to they know. They were about trying that. to get him help. Probably. Bullshit. But it also could be because they were just too rough with people. Between 1973 and 1976, Elvis, despite spending less and less time in the studio, recorded enough for six albums. Although he definitely wasn't getting into the pop charts anymore, several of the albums made it into the country charts. Probably his best song of that era came in 1976, when he released his version of a soul classic called Hurt. Here's Hurt. This is going to make me sad. I have a new record out. Uh, I don't know. I like the same player now. I like how this is entitled Elvis Presley's Best Version. Now you are 
Not quite as good as Johnny Cash's Hurt, but you know. Is that the same song? No. Oh. It's a song, I think, by Nine Inch Nails that Johnny Cash covered in like the early 2000s as like an old man. And there was what? just so much passion in his voice. It's just way better than the original. It's great. Anyway, by early 1977, Elvis' performances were suffering. Once he was on stage for less than an hour and no one could understand anything he said. He missed a few shows in Louisiana entirely. On August 1st, 1977, those three former bodyguards released a book called Elvis, What Happened? Which was the first expose talking about his drug abuse. Elvis was devastated by the book and tried to halt the publication by offering money to the publishers, but that didn't work. On August 16th, 1977, Elvis' girlfriend found him unresponsive and frozen on the bathroom floor a day before he was supposed to fly out of Memphis for his next tour. Thousands of people flooded to Graceland to see the open casket, and one of Elvis's cousins accepted $18,000 to secretly photograph Elvis's body. The I picture... Mean, okay, make your <laughs> money, I guess. The picture appeared on the cover of the National Enquirer's best-selling issue ever. People are so weird. weird. Yeah. Elvis was originally buried in a public cemetery next to his mother, but after an attempt to steal his body, God. he and his mother were moved to Graceland. At least they moved mom. Yep. His initial cause of death was ruled cardiac arrest, and the doctor said that, said that the drugs played no part in it. But that has since been disputed. A lab report filed two months later reported 14 drugs in his system, 10 in significant quantities. Elvis was chronically ill with glaucoma, diabetes, and constipation. The years of heavy, heavy drug use ruined his body, and it is now widely believed that the strain of trying to poop caused his heart to give out, and that's what ultimately killed him. Which is genuinely a thing. Yeah. But really, it's because he wrecked himself with drug abuse, a horrible diet, and overwork for many years before that. Like That's really what killed him. In the 21st century, not many young people have a favorable view of Elvis. The idea that he stole his music from the African-American community and stole success they never got is a very prevalent idea. And, to be fair, there is some truth to that. His biggest songs were mostly covers from African-American artists. But some people dispute that claim. Jackie Wilson, who is a legend of soul music, said, quote, a lot of people have accused Elvis of stealing the black man's music, when in fact, almost every black solo entertainer copied his stage mannerisms from Elvis. Elvis, for his part, gave credit to the African-American music scene. He said in his comeback special, Rock and roll music is basically gospel or rhythm and blues, or it sprang from that. People have been adding to it, adding instruments to it, experimenting with it, but it all boils down to that. Despite that, it is largely because of Elvis that black musicians had an open door into rock and roll. And that sucks, but it is the way it is. Little Richard said about him, quote, He was an integrator. Elvis was a blessing. They wouldn't let black, ma black music through. He opened the door for black music, quote. And Al Green said, quote, He broke the ice for all of us. So, like, it's a real shame that he had to do that. Like, it's a real shame that African-American music wasn't just more popular because like it was better but in a way it's good that he did it it's good that like he was able to open the door for a lot of them to be heard too elvis was the symbol of rock and roll for many years he was the catalyst the guy who kicked it all off and gave rock that rebellious edge and youth appeal whether or not you think he stole the sound and image in music without elvis american music would not look the same that's the end of over an hour of Elvis. Do you feel a little bit better about him now? I feel like he was a good man. Yeah, there's a lot. Like, Elvis' story is deep. There's a lot I couldn't get in. Like, we're over an hour, and I didn't even touch on some of the more important things. Like, his relationship with his manager, Colonel something. How people thought his manager was just kind of like running everything, and Elvis didn't really have a say towards the end of his career. And there's just there's a lot more like to probably it. Probably couldn't be trusted with yeah. it if he was strung out all the time. But even earlier than that, like 
I don't know, Jerry Lee Lewis, for one, thought that Elvis just, like, ruined his shot. And, like, they think that the manager guy convinced him to turn to movies instead of music, and that kind of, like, ruined his edge or whatever. I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot more to Elvis than what I've gotten into here. You look very, very sad now. I am. <laughs> just poor, hurt people. Mm-hmm. Well, at least you can respect Elvis a little bit more. Still might not enjoy his music, but at least you can feel for the guy a little bit. And yeah, I'm very torn on the whole like debate of if he stole the sound. Because like, in some ways, probably, he was influenced by a lot of African-American artists, because for sure. That, like We've been talking about people bringing influence from... Yeah, exactly. Artists for the past however long that we've been doing I this. Think like what does the real issue comes about because like I think Elvis was genuinely influenced by the music he grew up around, yeah. which was the African American blues and a little bit of hillbilly. Like he was that was genuinely his influence. He didn't mean to steal anything like that. Like he yeah. just he was influenced by that, so that was the music he made. But the issue is that he is a white guy singing African-American music and got popular from it. Yeah. So people like, and that makes sense. Like, it sucks that it was the white guy who got popular doing this music that African-Americans had already been doing. And it sucks that that was a culture at the time, but I don't think Elvis is to blame for that. I think Elvis yeah. was just singing the music he grew up with. He was just singing his influence. Yeah. And like the idea that most of his songs were covers, like that was just the music industry at that time. No one wrote their own stuff. It was all covers or songs written for you. Mm. All right. That's my take on it. I get it, but I think it's a little unfair. All right. Anything else to add to Elvis? I want to give him a hug. I feel like you say that at the end of almost all of our episodes. That's because so many people are hurt and broken. (laughs) I want to give everybody a hug. Well, next week we talk about soul. And then we talk about bluegrass. Two completely different genres, <laughs> but it'll be fun. All right. All right. Thank you all for oh, listening. Oh, wait, no, oh no, 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 okay. I had this idea. Uh oh. No, it's a good idea. Okay. I would like to suggest that, in honor and remembrance of Elvis, we talk about our favorite covers. Oh. Because I have two. Okay. Do you have any favorite covers? I mean, that Johnny Cash one, I really like that. Yep. Um, the most famous version of the Hallelujah song wasn't by the guy who wrote it and released it first. I can't remember the guy who sang the most popular cover, but Ugh. I think his version is better, but I love that song. Okay. I don't know. We went into very different, <laughs> okay. different places. Well, what is yours then? Um, I have really really been into um Andrew McMahon's Slow Burn. Oh yeah. You've been into that for a while. I have. It's so good. Yeah. I think it's just mm, nah. <laughs> and I've really loved ever since Madison showed us Passion Pit's cover of Dreams. Yeah. It's good. It's really cool. All right. We've gone all way too long. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. Join Listen, us next I brought week. something musical to the you music did. podcast. I'm, I'm impressed. Thanks. All right. Thank you for listening if you've made it this far. Have a great week, Miami Beaches. Well, that's all right, Mama. That's all right for you. That's all right, Mama. Just anyway.